You're listening to episode four of season four of Partnerships and Possibilities, a podcast on leadership. In this episode, the gender zeitgeist, part one. Hi, I'm Sharon. And I'm Diana. And we're going to be talking about leadership in organizations. Leadership in organization happens at all levels and takes many forms. This month, Sharon and I are having a great time sorting through some of the recent issues uh, from Harvard Business Review and other sources, looking at all the interesting articles that have been coming out about women in the workplace. It's an interesting follow-on to our earlier discussions about Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In book. Well, and of course, it's all the publicity and yeah. the reactions from the book that are that are causing, I think, some of the stuff to bubble up right, right. now. Right. So. Um, well, and I think I sent you um, a note. I, I know I I re- tweeted it uh, yeah. recently about one of the articles saying that um, in this line of saying that research is showing that men get promoted on the base of confidence and women get promoted on the base of competence, which I thought was a little harsh, given a lot of the men I know who are quite competent. But um, but there's just a lot in the zeitgeist right now that's looking at the differences between how men and women lead, how um, how those differences in leadership style whether done by a man or a woman, impact people's ability to get things done in their workplaces and and move around in their organizations as they would like to um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, develop themselves, and professionally develop themselves and, and develop their careers. So you may hear a lot of paper shuffling um, in this episode because we've got we've got a lot to look up and and we're we're we've got piles of, of magazines around us because there's just so much interesting going on here. Yeah. So so um, one of the things that I thought was really interesting was an article in yesterday's uh, yesterday being the uh, August twenty fifth of. 2013 it was an article in the New York Times um, about the women of Google uh, moving past the glass ceiling. And in that article, they were talking about the three women who've now been put in charge of a new effort that Google uh, has to, um, as they put it, link the uh, disparate worlds of high fashion and high tech. And I'm not sure I ever really thought I'd see the high fashion and high tech in the same sentence, but there you go. <laughs> well, you know, so, there, there really are no industries and or no um, no fields of of uh, market of the marketplace that aren't touched by technology now. I mean, everything runs right. on software. Everything. Right. You know, needs that their uh, software infrastructure supported by an IT, some IT function. I mean, it really is everywhere. Well, evidently, Google has um, is planning or, or is already prototyping something called Google Glass. Mm-hmm. Where you wear? Have, do you know about this? Oh, I saw. There are some people with them at the Agile conference. Really? Yeah. 
So they're wearing these eyeglasses right. that have essentially a computer yep. chip monitor or whatever built into mm-hmm. the one side of the the eyeglass. Yeah. Um, and I know it lets you check the weather because they use that as an example in the uh, article. But yeah. I'm not sure what else. I, I, I'm not sure whether you can be checking your email <laughs> or right. you know what else you're doing. Yeah. But the idea um, now this this was kind of an interesting thing where they put three women in charge of this effort. So on the one hand, you could say, well, okay, there the assumption here is that um, because they're women. They have more of an affinity for, an understanding of, um, an attachment to how things look, how, you know. Is that progress for women or not? I, I doubt very much that that's why they were put in charge of that. I, I, I would suspect they were put in charge of it because they understood the technology behind it at, at Google. Well, I'm um, sure, yeah, I'm sure yeah, that's true. That's, and... Yeah. and Right. I'm sure there were men who understood the technology too, and it is not an accident, I don't think, that sort of the three top figures here are female. It's as if, sorry, from the outside, it is as if they've said, oh, well, because this has a fashion component. This is a great place where we can take highly competent. Have you seen the Google glasses? They're ugly. They are, they are in no way fashionable. <laughs> oh, but they they are ugly, but they are so ugly, but because they are an it and a thing, they are a fashion statement. Well, I, I and, will say and, that all the people I saw wearing them at the Agile conference were men. Okay, so on the cover of this article is yeah. um, on the Sunday style section of the Times is Sergey. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Wearing his pair, Sergey Brin, yeah. Sergey Brin, and Diane von Furstenberg wearing hers, right? Yeah. And hers are orange because that's more of a fashion statement. Quoting her, yeah. and he's wearing his in gray because you know, for him it's not quite a fashion statement, but it's you know, it's a productivity tool. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, were any of the men wearing them in orange? I think not. I don't know. I don't remember what colors they were. They were, the people who were wearing them were, I don't know exactly how to describe this, were moving in a different kind of way. I mean, when you've got this thing on your head, it causes you to, you, your just the gestures of your head just happen differently, and I was more fascinated by the movement than I than I ever noticed the color. Could have been they were all the gray ones. I yeah. don't know. I don't know. Well, they come but, in two shades of gray. Yeah. Well, see, I didn't. Even, <laughs> this is what a fashionista I am. I didn't notice the color at all. So yeah, but there's just you know there's a lot that's really interesting about. You know, how those choices are made, who, you know, if they hadn't put three women in charge of that and three women were eminently qualified to, to run with that, um, to run with that effort, 
then would it have been discrimination to not include them? I well, mean, I well, think, you no, know. I, I don't know, but but here's what here's maybe what. they were just the three people who were the most interested in it. Could be, could but, be. But yeah. here's here's what that harkens back to for me. Yeah, it's like. When organizations in the 80s and 90s were under a lot of pressure to start moving women, you know, up through the pipeline and, and into, into senior roles or higher level roles, rarely were they put in, in charge of the operations. They were almost always channeled into staff jobs, you know, Public relations, HR, finance, you know, those kinds of roles. Yeah. Then the excuse that they couldn't take the most senior jobs in organizations was, well, they didn't have operations experience, right? right. What what they were what they were doing was the administrivia, if you will, mm -hmm. of an organization, but they didn't necessarily have content knowledge of the operation. This felt to me almost like the same kind of thing, but in a new way. So that, that it's like, it's like their sex was still a determination in, in being chosen for the job. Yeah, I don't know that you can know that, though. Well, I, I can't. I mean, you can speculate. I can speculate. But that. I don't I know, that know that you can know that. Um, uh, partly because, I mean, Google Glass is getting a lot of press. And it has been hotly debated in all the geeky forums for many months now. Many, many months. Um, and it it is regarded as one of the things that is going to set the direction for Google's future. So I would not just assume that it is a frivolous kind of fashion sense style oriented product just because it's showing up on the style page of the New York Times. I think they are much more serious about where this is headed and what it's going to do for their company. And that's why I'm I'm sort of less inclined mm. to okay. buy to buy the assumption. Okay. Because I I'm not I'm not sure it's it's the Nate given the rest of what I know about Google Glass that it's warranted. But I you know the thing I was what I was interested in in this in this latest Harvest Business Review article is you know they lead on the cover with emotional bossy and too nice right and and that you know on the one hand and with a, with a picture of a woman behind it right which on the one hand then they say oh this is you know this is what holds women back but but it's also a label the Harvard Business Review which is donating or devoting an entire issue to a big chunk of an entire issue to these questions around lean in and and the, the the fate of women in organizations puts on its cover that you know if you just were going by it not reading it carefully well women are emotional bossy and too nice and that i mean i don't know if they realize the impact 
of the graphic on this cover, which because it kind of sends a mixed message. And I think that's fascinating. And I remember a woman who came up to me one time when um, I was doing, this is years ago, maybe 2005 or six, came up to me at a conference. I had been doing a session on giving effective feedback. And she came up to me and she said, you know, I just, she says, I never know what to do. She said, my manager at my annual performance review, right? This is presumably the culmination of everything she's done for the entire year. <laughs> right. Told me that for the entire year I had been too nice. Mm -hmm. She said, what was I supposed to do with that as feedback? Well, you know, and, and we kind of coached her around, right. you know, well, maybe you could say, well, when you see me being too nice, what do those situations look like? So she could get some something right. really right. that she could right. work with. But there's this, um, I, for, I, for one, think niceness is kind of underrated. <laughs> so yeah. I'm not sure you can be too nice unless you're being disingenuous. And dishonest. If you are coddling someone else's feelings so that you don't have to deliver a, a difficult message or that so that they're not getting the feedback they need, that's one thing. But just creating a workplace where people can get along and where things can get done and and people's individual needs are accommodated doesn't seem to me to be too nice at all. Well, of course not. And so, so I think, right, I mean, you have to know what is meant here by when somebody's using the word like nice. I right. mean, it, it's funny because when my mother, when I was growing up and my mother would try to fix me up with some young man or whatever, <laughs> and she would say he was nice. That was like a kiss of death. Right. <laughs> oh, no. Nice. nice! Oh my God! Well, yeah, but, but if she had been trying to fix you up with an, an, a young woman, you might have thought differently of it. I mean, it just occurred to me that that same thing. I've I've thought about that. I mean, had that same kind of reaction before. But now I wonder: is it because it was a man that being nice was a bad thing? No, no, I don't. It just that she couldn't think of anything else good to say. Yeah, or or that it meant that they behaved like milk toast. Is how I always interpreted it. Yeah, you know, they yeah. were they were polite and whatever. You know, right. but um, no, you're right. So, so I mean, of course, you have to know is is nice when right. some when they say somebody's being too nice. Does right. it mean that that they're being too, you know, right? too soft on people or not setting high enough standards right. or not holding people's feet to the fire that right. kind of thing right then agreed it's a problem right. if if nice is simply not coming into the office and blowing up as some right. people do just because they think right. it's good to keep people on their toes um then right yeah. that's another story yeah yeah it's the the other the other instance of this that um, comes to mind is I was speaking one time with a um, senior manager in an organization. I think he had a VP title. And he had been um, putting together a, an agile pilot project in his organization. Uh, it was an organization that's very 
into uh, analytics and gathered a lot of research data for various various purposes. And they had um, put together this team of of folks to. It was. It, I mean, in my way of thinking, it was too big a group to be a team. There were twenty some of them, but he had assembled this group of twenty some people, and they had learned uh, XP practices and various kinds of planning practices and so on. And they were doing quite well as a pilot group. They were they eventually spread Agile through the rest of the organization because they had such a good experience with this group. And I asked him what he thought were some of the contributing factors for why this group was doing so well. And he said, well, we looked across the organization, we asked people who would like to be a part of this effort, we looked for matching skills, and then he said, basically, we hired for nice. Hmm. And because I had had some experiences in organizations that had a niceness culture, which meant right. we never told anybody the truth. Right. I said, well, so tell me more about that. I want to know more about what you mean by hiring for nice. And he said, well, you know, we need this to be a collaborative team effort. We need people who are invested in making sure they can get along mm -hmm. with other folks, that they who are invested in having a workplace that's not going to be, um, where people aren't going to be competing with each other, mm -hmm. but but are going to are going to compete together to get the work done against the challenges that mm -hmm. we're facing. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a really wonderful and articulate way yeah, of describing nice. what is nice. nice. <laughs> you know yeah. what what he meant by hiring for nice. Mm -hmm. We need people who can work in teams. Mm -hmm. So when I see something like this cover about you know, women being too nice, it just sets off all these associations right. for me, right. including those organizations that you and I have worked in where that had what we call the niceness culture, which meant no one was telling anybody the truth. Yeah, so and avoid, that word avoiding gets used any to, kind of confrontation or yeah, conflict. Yeah, it's just the conflict avoidant cultures, right. right. Which is pretty much most yeah. organizations, actually. <laughs> We've certainly encountered a lot of them over the years. <laughs> yeah, I, I have yet to have anybody tell me that, you know, we thrive on creative conflict here. Ah. Well, I, I have not heard, you may have heard yes, that, but I have not. There is a, there is a very large organization um, out to mm -hmm. the west of mm -hmm. uh, Portland worldwide that um, part of how they see their culture is mm -hmm. what they call constructive confrontation. Mm-hmm. But they do put emphasis on the constructive part. Mm -hmm. It's not the, you know, tear everybody down. Right. right. Um, so everybody around you down. Yeah. So there, there is a difference there. But, but by and large. But yeah, it leans, it leans away. From, and, I, and I think actually that was put in place to lean away, <laughs> suppose they're leaning in, lean away from that kind of niceness bureaucracy. Yeah. And and try to overcome that. And the, sometimes the pendulum swings too far back the other direction. But but I understand that that's you know that's why they've done that. They they knew that truly innovative and creative ideas were going to come about 
to a certain extent through the clash of ideas. Right. But that doesn't mean there has to be a clash of people. Right. It's just the clash of ideas. Right. Yeah. Right. So we get the mashups going. That yeah. reminds me that that somewhere I I think it was actually in a in an article in the uh, Oregonian that um, um, uh, Cheryl um, uh, Sandberg Sandberg yeah, yeah was quoted as saying that she's had any number of CEOs calling her and kind of good naturedly but ber- berating her that they, as a result of her book, that they have had lots of um, demand from women in their organizations <laughs> for, for more pay, you know, essentially yeah. equal pay. And she's kind of like, like <laughs> no, and she's sort of like, um, and you think I'm going to apologize for that? Hello. Right. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, if her, if her book is, is, um, Allowing people to to um, have more confidence and to ask for what they they feel they deserve. Right. You know, good for her, good for them. Right. Um, but I think it's funny that people would literally call her and and berate her for that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and and think that she would feel bad. <laughs> it's a certain lack of empathy. Yeah. 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 That's the end of part one of this episode. Listen in next Friday when we continue the discussion in part two. Please leave your comments on our blog. You can also email us info at futureworksconsulting.com or find us on Twitter at futurewks. This has been episode four of season four of Partnerships and Possibilities. Thanks for listening. <laughs>